Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part one of episode 38 in the book of John entitled The Trial, where we discuss John chapter 18, verses 19 through 40. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, the entire gospel of John is written to persuade us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the deity of Christ. It's also going to show us today uh, the contrast between the deity of Christ, his sublime character, his the way he carries himself through the, the degrading trials and then being denied by his closest friend on earth, Peter, the contrast is overwhelming. So we're going to see the deity of Christ and the perfect humanity of Christ mm. shining in some of the most degrading circumstances we can imagine. We're also going to see the importance here in redemptive history as Jesus, as our sin-bearing substitute, is on trial and found guilty on our behalf, though the way by which that happens can be nothing but corrupt because the human beings that are judging him are sinful and wicked, and that is put on display. So we're going to see the sublime character of Christ by contrast with Peter in his denials and with Annas and Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate in his trials. Well, for our purposes today, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19 and read through the end of chapter 18 in verse 40. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. 
but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Okay, so backing up just a little bit from the start, according to verse 13, Caiaphas was high priest, but here in verse 19, Annas is called high priest. What exactly is going on as we start this passage here? Well, history tells us that uh, Caiaphas was Annas's son-in-law, that Annas, uh, all things being equal, would have been high priest for life. So there would be no way that Caiaphas would have been high priest at this point because you are high priest until you die. Hmm. So Annas, it seems, was the true high priest, though a thoroughly wicked and corrupt man. The Romans want him to control the internal politics of the Jews, and, and he want, the Romans, with their Pax Romana, wanted to keep peace in the area but keep control. Uh, they mandated, it seems, that no one could be high priest for life, and so basically, as a compromise, it seems, they allowed Annas to continue uh, as the truly powerful individual, but without the title of high priest. Mm. So Caiaphas was actually, as the text says, high priest that year, but it really was Annas who is the true power behind the throne. So uh, his son-in-law, Caiaphas, was really just a, a dominated puppet. It was Annas who was the, truly the like the mafioso godfather. He was running the thing. And, and as I said, a thoroughly wicked man. As, as we noted, uh, I think, earlier, Annas was making just millions Hmm. in temple concessions and a corrupt religious system. Keep in mind the Jews were required to come three times a year and offer sacrifices. Josephus, the historian at the time, tells us that during the Passover about a quarter of a million lambs were sacrificed. Those lambs had to be approved by Annas and his, hmm. his specially trained uh, priests who frequently found fault with the uh, lambs that would be brought. They would not be acceptable and would be confiscated. Mm. And then uh, they would sell some pre-approved lambs, which were probably confiscated yesterday or last week from oh the, goodness. you know, the, it was just a machine. Yeah. Meanwhile, their money wasn't acceptable, the outlying district money. So there was temple coin. So you had to change money and there was a fee for that. It was it was a money-making machine. Annas was filthy rich. Mm. So, but Caiaphas was, tr was the kind of titular high priest. It was really Annas. So they brought him to Annas first. Okay. And so he's dealing with him. Yep. That's helpful to understand what's going on here. Mm -hmm. So what was the topic then of Annas's interrogation of Jesus? Well, he says in verse 19, he questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Now, what we need to keep in mind, and this has been made clear by uh, Jewish legal experts from the, that era is that this whole proceeding here is illegal. It's absolutely corrupt top to bottom. They had provisions made for a fair trial. What's going on here is this going on in the middle of the night. Hmm. He's taken away so that the crowds aren't going to riot. They, they grab him, bring him in, do some, some quick questioning. Uh, their only goal is to find some way, some pseudo-legitimate way to condemn him to death. So they begin to just talk to him about his, his, uh, his disciples, his teachings, and all that. In order to accuse somebody, no one could be put to death on their own word, on their own testimony. They had to be uh, put to death on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Paul makes this clear. Yeah. Every matter is established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. It's from the book of Deuteronomy. So fundamentally, Jesus is going to answer this illegal questioning, this illegal line of questioning, with where are your witnesses? Right. Show me your witnesses. That's where we're heading. Right, and Jesus, he picks up on that. Like you just yeah. said, he refutes this 
this trial, a sham trial, if you mm -hmm. want to call it that, yeah. uh, and the legality of Annas's questions by demanding witnesses, but mm -hmm. Annas had none. Yeah. So what does this interchange show us about Jesus and mm -hmm. about Annas in this situation? Yeah, first of all, no one can get ahead of Jesus intellectually. You can't, you can't trick him, you can't get ahead of him. He's never trapped. Hmm. Uh, he's not there against his will. He's not even there intellectually or mentally um, out of his depth. No, Jesus' depth is infinite. Hmm. And so he zeroes in in every case on what has to happen with Annas, Caiaphas, with Herod, with Pilate. He's going to deal with each one accordingly, sometimes with key words, sometimes with complete silence. So what he does here is he zeroes in on witnesses. If you want to try me, you have to follow the rules. And I spoke openly, everyone heard me, it shouldn't be difficult for you to get any witnesses concerning my disciples and my teaching. So he's really exposing Annas and how corrupt he is. And following on the heels of that in verse 22, it says, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand. Mm. Why did this person strike Jesus mm. at this point in verse 22? And how does Jesus respond? Well, it says one of the officials did it. And so my feeling is he's trying to, trying to please Annas. Hmm. He's trying to, uh, he's a ladder climber. Yeah. He's, he's trying to ingratiate him, himself, you know, just mm. answer the question, you know, kind of thing. And he smashes Jesus in the face. But it also is a fulfillment of prophecies in the Psalms, you know, and, and other things. They, they will strike Israel's judge on the cheek. And so uh, Jesus is accepting blows now. This is the beginning of, of extreme abuse leading ultimately to his own death. And so again, with all of the abuse, with all of the suffering that Jesus goes through, we need to see him as our substitute. Yeah. Um, everything that happens to Jesus, we should think, is something we sinners deserve. We deserve worse. We deserve to be smashed in the face. We deserve to have our backs laid open with, with whips. We deserve to be crucified and to bleed out and die. We deserve eternal condemnation in hell. Jesus is our substitute and takes this abuse, though he clearly had done no wrong. Now, this individual smashes Jesus in the face, and, and he does it, I think, just to ingratiate himself to Annas. But how Jesus replies is really quite remarkable. Mm. And ultimately, uh, Annas is unable to refute Jesus, right, and sends him bound to Caiaphas. Meanwhile, Simon Peter had been standing and warming himself by a fire nearby. Mm -hmm. And at this point, we return to the cycle of, of denials that we mentioned, I think, in the last episode. Yeah, absolutely. I want to say one more thing um, that I, I mentioned a second ago, but I, I want to open it up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. You know, Jesus taught to turn the other cheek. If someone strikes you on the one cheek, turn to him the other also. Mm -hmm. Jesus does that effectively, but he also makes the guy answer for what he did. Hmm. So I think we need to learn something here. When we, when we get abused, there's nothing wrong with saying to the abuser, why are you doing this? What is going on? And to mm -hmm. challenge the individual intellectually, mentally, logically, theologically. And he said, bear witness. That's the same thing he said to Annas. Show me your facts. Show me the witness. Yeah. But if I didn't say anything wrong, why did you strike me? So I guess this teaches me something about suffering. We don't just mm -hmm. lay down. Sometimes you have to challenge the abuser. Now, concerning Peter, um, Peter is in this woven into this account because he really is the best of us, and he behaves so badly here. So you look at it. He's the leader. He's the spokesman for mm -hmm. the apostles. You know, he's got all this talent, this ability, one of the great natural leaders, chosen, handpicked after a night of prayer by Jesus, and look at him. Mm. And so the idea here is what do we learn about ourselves? And what we learn is we are, we are craven sinners. All Peter seems to want to do here is save his own life. 
And so they're zeroing in on him. He's standing there with the enemies of Christ, not a friend in sight, warming himself by the fire. Mm -hmm. And he's already denied knowing Jesus once, the slave girl at the door as he comes in. You're not one of his disciples, right? No, no, no. All right, good. Go ahead. Go on in. Uh, now, he's done it once. Jesus had said, though, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so here in this paragraph, we have the second and third denials. Yeah. What do verses 25 and 27 teach us about the progressive nature of sin? Just in looking at what mm -hmm. happens to Peter, what can we learn about sin? We've spoken a little bit of our, our own tendency toward that, but even just how sin progresses in our lives. Yeah, I think uh, it was a friend of mine who does prison ministry and he had heard this slogan, I'm not going to get it right, might even butcher it a little bit, something like this. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to be there, and it costs more than you want to pay. Hmm. So, uh, again, you see people who get themselves into sinful situations, whether committing adultery or into some financial dealings or some other thing, where they just wonder, how did I get here? They never imagined it would go like this. But mm -hmm. this is the aspect, as it says in Romans 7, sin deceived me through the commandment and through the commandment put me to death. Paul talks about how sin is actively a deceiver. Uh, there is a deceptiveness to sin. It lies to us. And so you also see the analogy here, sometimes the phraseology of boiling the frog, where little by little by little you get in deeper and deeper and then you're dead. And so here um, there's a progressive accusation but again, initially it's negative. You're not one of his, now you're not one of his disciples, are you? Implying the answer is no, no, but it just gets deeper and deeper. And then the third time it's, mm. uh, uh, you know, Malchus's relative, Malchus was the servant whose, Peter, uh, whose ear Peter had cut off with a sword, a strange moment. Um, mm -hmm. And this man recognized him and he zeroes in on him. Didn't I see you with, him, with you in the olive grove? And so we get the third denial. Mm. Now, after the third denial, mm -hmm. a rooster crowed, as Jesus had yeah. predicted. In Luke 22, at that mm -hmm. moment, the rooster crowed. Jesus turns and looks at Peter. Sure. What does this teach us about the sovereignty of God and oh, his wow. discipline of sinning disciples? And how does this cause Peter to respond? Yeah, that's one of the most painful moments that there, I would have to say, Peter would say, and he was one who was crucified, mm. tradition tells us, upside down. Of the two moments, the moment that Jesus looked at you, when the rooster had crowed and you had denied Jesus three times, or the time that you were being nailed to the cross to your death, which was more painful. We have to say that that was the single most painful moment of my life. And so what happens is Jesus in his grace, in his mercy, and God the Father in his sovereignty orchestrates the timing of Jesus being transported from Annas to Caiaphas, it seems, or from Annas and Caiaphas to Pilate. We don't know exactly the transition, but at just that, that moment, Jesus is being moved from point A to point B, and he has the opportunity to turn and look at Peter just as the rooster crows. And the combination of Jesus's predictions um, and the rooster and Jesus looking causes a stab of pain, of conviction, and effectively gets Peter out of there. Because remember, the whole thing was orchestrated by Jesus to, to set them free, mm. let these men yeah. go. He didn't want any of them arrested that night. He didn't want any of them standing trial that night or being questioned. They weren't ready. It wasn't time. Their time had not yet come. His time had come. Theirs had not yet come. He had woven an escape for them, and he didn't take it in his pride. So Jesus painfully gives them a second chance. Get out of here. Mm. And he does but he goes outside and weeps bitterly. Mm. 
Mm. And we're going to see in chapter 21 just how deeply painful this whole thing was yeah. for, for Peter. So what do we see of the sovereignty of God? God, in his grace, goes after the wandering sheep. He will not let him fall. Mm -hmm. He will not let him apostatize. But the, the journey back is going to be painful. Yeah. yeah, that's good for us to remember the pain that exists even in God's grace and kindness, yeah. uh, particularly here for Peter, but then even in our own lives. Yeah. I would have to say for the genuine Christian, there is no more painful thing in this world than our own sin. Mm. I mean, no physical thing is as painful. Um, uh, certainly there are tragedies that happen, like the burying of a child that is exquisitely painful. But there's something just deconstructing about our own rebellion against Christ. There's mm. something that just unravels us as human beings, causes us to, to doubt our own salvation. Uh, it's just extremely damaging. Mm. So it's a warning to all of us against sin. Now, as we step into verse 28, what happened to Jesus in his trial before Caiaphas? And why does John handle it the way that he does? All right, well, clearly, um, Annas and Caiaphas can't do anything with Jesus. Now, we get more information in the synoptics. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, they, they challenge him that they bring in false witnesses. This fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. They do all this, but nothing sticks, nothing works. The, the witnesses, are their stories aren't corroborating. In frustration, Annas directly asked Jesus, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus says, I am, and then quotes Daniel 7, in the future you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, if you have a problem with the incarnation, read about it in Daniel 7. But he tears his robe, said, you know, finds him guilty. Mm -hmm. And so the whole process, and there's different phases of the, of the trial, but you've got a religious trial and then a political trial. Mm -hmm. Religious trial's over at mm -hmm. this point. They found him guilty. And so what this means is Annas and Caiaphas, representing in a very sad, corrupt way, but representing the Jewish nation, rejects Jesus officially as being their Messiah. Yeah. Now, speaking of the Jews, what does John tell us about them in verse 28? And how does this verse illustrate just their absolute hmm. hypocrisy? The hypocrisy, it's crazy. Jesus said, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You don't want to be defiled for the Passover, but mm -hmm. you kill the Son of God. So they will not go into the Gentile home. There, as far as I can tell in, in Old Testament law, nothing precluding Jews from entering the house of a Gentile or eating with a Gentile. But these were clear prohibitions in the days of the New Testament. Remember mm -hmm. how Peter mm -hmm. went into Cornelius's house and ate with him and that was scandalous. Those regulations are not found in the laws of Moses. They're in the pharisaical additional laws put in. So they will not go in. They don't want to defile themselves. They want to be able to eat the Passover. But Jesus said in John 5, you diligently study the scriptures, Moses, because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These scriptures testify about me, mm -hmm. and you refuse to come to me that you may have life. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. The Passover was about Jesus. But just to figure it out, the Passover is about Jesus in that he had to die. So it was only fulfilled in that he had to be rejected, handed over, and killed. So in the end, it was all under the sovereign act of God. But at the, at the, the level of the Jews, there is just that sheer hypocrisy mm. of, you know, looking beautiful on the outside and inside full of corruption. Yeah. Now in 29 and 30, Pilate mm. goes outside and asks, what accusation or charge the crowd is bringing against Jesus, which demonstrates a pretty standard approach of Roman justice. Yeah. How did the Jews answer Pilate's question, and what does this interchange show us about their relationship to Pilate? 
Well, first of all, I find verse 29 remarkable. The Jews won't come into Pilate, so Pilate goes out to them. Who is Pilate? He's the representative of Caesar in that entire region. He's got the legions behind him. And he goes cap in hand out to them. Why? Now, it's very, very important that we understand some backstory here, and we can talk about this more next time. But Pilate is, is basically in a straitjacket at this point. Mm. He, has been, he has been hemmed in by his own bungling, by his own ineptitude. He has been hemmed in and basically must kowtow to the Jews and do what they want. <laughs> and the way this happened was when he first came as Roman governor, um, he comes in with the, with the symbols of Caesar, the divine Caesar in his, uh, that his legions are carrying, and they go into the temple area, and the Jews basically riot, saying, get those idols out of our temple. And he is ready to kill them, surrounds them with swords. They bare their necks and say, kill us. We'll die for the temple. So he backs down. Caesar hears about it and, and is very displeased. There's a second level of rebellion where this time he actually does kill them, whose blood Pilate mingled with the Galileans, etc. Remember, he killed them. Mm. And basically, Caesar says, Two, three strikes and you're out. You're done. You've got to manage that area. I don't want to send more legions mm. to Palestine. You get that area under control. So he's got to now work with the, the Jews, and they know it. And you're going to see this in chapter yeah. 19. They're going to yeah. say, well, we'll go to Caesar. We'll appeal to Caesar. They know exactly. Well, who gave, who gave that trump card to the Jewish leaders? It was Almighty God. Why? So they could play it that night. Wow. So they could play it that night. And, and Pilate, and we're going to see this, does not want to kill Jesus, but he ends up killing him. And so he, it all begins with him going out to them. Well, this has been part one of episode 38 in the book of John. We invite you to join us next time for part two of episode 38, where we'll wrap up our discussion of John chapter 18, verses 19 through 40. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.